0: Welcome to The Old School, a podcast on educational issues, the American education system and the problems they're in, possible solutions, and so far as we know the solutions. This is Ross Miller, live and wide awake from North Texas. Uh, good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois.
1: Good morning, Mr. Miller. It's, it's a pleasure to hear you and see you um, bright and early at 1.21 on a
0: Saturday afternoon. I had a lot of stuff going on this morning, so we had to... And to kind of take care of business, as it were, the kids, kids go into the grandparents for a week. Um, You say that with a a smile in your voice and on your face. And if they had video, there'd be a glint in my eye. And so, yes, uh, the kid is gone. I am going to miss her. It should be said. But it should be. And it was. (laughs) And it
1: was said. (laughs) Um, Well, that's that's exciting. You know that I'm going out of town this week, too. And where are you going to go? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm taking a road trip um, to, of all cities, um, to Indianapolis. Oh, Jesus. Indianapolis. Said, <laughs> what's, what's wrong with Indianapolis? This is for a band competition. My son's in a band competition. I don't need to give any details, but I'm looking forward to the road trip. And, and Indianapolis is one hell of a town. The food, the, the culture, the, the football, everything about that town. Let's talk about
0: the culture a little bit. A culture that takes rather than creates. What are you talking about? A culture that absconds rather than formulates for themselves. You can't jump
1: on a a rant against Indianapolis. You know, all all roads lead to Indy. If you try to go to any part of the country, you go through Indianapolis. There's just no way around it. Well, it's the same with hell. You know, you're going to (laughs) go through hell no
0: matter where you go in life. You know, you might as well go through Indianapolis. Um,
1: well, you, you might as well just get this off your chest because there, there's obviously some baggage uh, with with well, that baggage. There's and, there's and, baggage, and, and, and I want to know. So, so what
0: <laughs> happened? What's what's with you in Indianapolis, sir? I was a young man, 1984, March 30th, 1984, and Mayflower trucks backed up to the Baltimore Colts complex and stole that team in the middle of the night, a middle of a snowy night, a night that no one else would be caught dead in, yet these yahoos and these Mayflower trucks packed up the entire team and moved them to a town that, as a famed Baltimore sports writer once wrote, where the best bagel in town could be found in the frozen food section of your local grocery store. The (laughs) town is not to be taken seriously, They're scavengers is what they are. They're vultures sitting there waiting for other places to die and to pick clean the bones of civilization (laughs) and in a vain attempt of getting a little bit for themselves, yet failing miserably. So that's what Indianapolis has done. That is the damage they caused. There were tears. There were shouts of frustration. There were bemused and bewondered looks of why. There were appeals to the government. Can't you do anything? This is when I realized that the government can't save us. So, so weren't the Colts. I mean, when I think of the Colts, I think of Peyton Manning
1: and, and Indianapolis and, and that little, uh, I mean, they have a nice blue and white helmet. Um, what are you getting at? Are you saying there was another cult team uh, besides the Indianapolis Colts? You're a horrible person. <laughs> damn
0: well know there was another team. And where where did they? There's no way your 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 memory <laughs> and the words of Ted Lasso could be like a goldfish. There's no way that you do not recall the great years of the Baltimore Colts: Johnny Unitas, Artie Donovan, to a lesser extent, Burt Jones, <laughs> the Blackwood brothers, and the defensive backfield. You know, come on.
1: Well, I see them on NFL films a lot. They pretty much show when they, they lost to Joe Namath and, and, and the Jets. And that's really the press I see from the Colts.
0: That's one game. <laughs> one game. We have been known to be on the victor's end of what is largely considered the greatest NFL game in history. Colts versus Giants in the polo grounds across the frozen tundra of New York City. Don Amici, not Don Amici, oh. the actor. Alan Michi, come on, <laughs> I even know that. <laughs> Alan Michi, over the top, into the end zone, touchdown Colts, victoire, victoire.
1: That was one of the questions on, on that great movie, Diner. Let's see if the <laughs> woman would get to marry the character played
0: by Steve Guttenberg, if I recall. Yes, yes. So I would not have been able to marry Steve Gutenberg because I accidentally said Don Amici. <laughs> <laughs> um, Once more, we show our age <laughs> on uh, a bunch uh, of different fronts.
1: Absolutely. Well, so that. that's it. You've, you've just dismissed um, Indianapolis because of a childhood grudge.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay. I write off that whole city. <laughs> I call into question every fiber of their being. Um, well, didn't, how they sleep sleep at night, how they sleep at
1: night. You just talked about Mayflower, um, and you were traveling. Did you run into any may run into, did you see any Mayflower trucks and trip trucks in your trip up North recently?
0: Is that coffee you're drinking? It is. (laughs) Listen, I bet you like a lot of Marylanders the first time they left Maryland, in some sort of kind of mid-Atlantic room spring, you leave Maryland and, you know, see if you will go back or what have you. But the first time I left Maryland, I was shocked to find that Mayflower trucks were still around because they had left Maryland for years and you just never saw. I just assumed they went out of business just, just maybe because of the shame of it all, you know, but those trucks are just merrily going down the highways and byways of America today out of care in a world. Doesn't matter if they affected and damaged and emotionally scarred a whole generation of Baltimoreans. Doesn't like you, they don't care? They don't ex- care. It explains a lot. So do you like wave at them when, when you see them drive by? Um <laughs> I think it's called the Italian digit. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um well, but I do th- it kind of underneath the car. I'm not, I'm not here to pick fights, but still, those oh. people should those people should there should be great moral dilemmas within the upper echelons of that company.
1: Um,
0: I I will tell our our listener or
1: listeners that (laughs) uh, Mr. Miller tells the story about every time I see him and I see him, you know, (laughs) almost weekly, if not more often, you know, you're
0: an idiot. We haven't talked about this in years.
1: Um, Really? It doesn't take anything (laughs) to to set you off. Um, And I I worried about the topic of this uh, podcast because we are going to discuss sports specifically football at the high school level right uh, you know and the effect or impact uh, on the classroom what happens in, in school in general hmm. and i figured we'd get that story out of the way because you were going to delve into it anyway as soon as i mentioned ball or something
0: like that he would have said <laughs> i don't remember when i was a
1: kid they ripped it out of my yeah so
0: um,
1: i'm we'll glad spare. just they, get, in get glad it and get up behind
0: you, us i'm glad that you find as a source of amusement Uh, the pain, the suffering that I and many of my fellow compatriots went through all those many years ago. So
1: it was it was sad the first time you told it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then it's become a bit
0: of a comedy shtick, but it's uh, but I I can tell that the tears are real. I will will say that. Um, And And let's be let's be frank. There have been times where the gods have aligned to create a scenario that could not have been predicted otherwise. Like the time we met that one German in Bonn, who said he'd only been to the United States once and it was to Indianapolis and you were in the middle of drinking coffee and you almost did a spit take over the table.
1: It, it was just perfect. Uh, I, I mean, I'm turned to you to see your expression <laughs> and you, for the first time you were speechless.
0: I think my head was down on the table or something.
1: That was pretty good. So it does come back. Well, yeah. Um, well, in the time we have left, which isn't yes. large, Um <laughs> Tell us about the, the the start of football season in, in high school. And does it? do you even notice it as a history teacher? Does it make its way into, into your classroom?
0: Well, I don't know how you can't notice it. I mean, because not unlike, well, I mean, sports serves a function that in part provides identity, be it identity for a country. You know, if your team is playing in the World Cup or playing in the Olympics or what have you, uh, whether you're talking about a state, like a state, you know, a state university. What are you talking about town and like a professional sports team? You know, sports teams provide identity. And to that degree, schools always in search of things that will galvanize support, not just from the community, but also from the student body behind a singular idea, uh, will often turn to sports as a component of that. And so uh, and well, it should be said, especially for folks who are not from Texas, that Texas has a special bond with its sports teams, particularly football, and it it holds a special place. The, The fall is basically for a teacher, it's a navigation of assembly and pep rally scheduling, you know, because on a periodic basis, you know, throughout the fall semester, there are pep rallies for the football team for sundry of reasons and, you know, so it's, it's omnipresent, you know, now there are other sports, of course, many fine, uh, I've taught many fine athletes across the board, everything from, uh, you know, soccer and baseball to more marginalized sports like tennis, you know, but uh, that that was a cheap insult because I'm a former uh, and maybe future tennis coach at the high
1: school level. Um, And I I noticed that right when you started laughing, as you said it,
0: (laughs) but I think, I think, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. And I think that. You know, the things that we're about to say with regards to sports in schools, uh, it cannot be said at the expense of the people who coach it because our coaches, I mean, there are bad coach slash teachers, just like there's bad teachers. And so that in and of itself cannot be a point of discussion. But what needs to be discussed only because the reputation is so much the other way is that there are many great uh, teachers slash coaches that are in essence excelling in two jobs at the same time you know if you've ever had to double dip and, and work two gigs you know in your life then you know you know a little bit about what it's like to be a coach and a teacher because you're you're doing that now other states they have different setups for their for their coaches uh, but in the state of texas coaches teach as well and so um it's an omnipresent sort of thing and um you know you you have you have the support staff cheerleaders you have marching band you have everything else that's in support of the identity that is helped create it by sports teams well you mentioned you know a list
1: there um the marching band and you know i'm a a band parent and all of my three kids are in, in band and it's a quite a, a remarkable program again particularly in Texas the the bands are nationally ranked here mm. um but if you look in the in the stands you know most of those people at the football games are there to see the band I mean they're parents of the band because the band is much much bigger uh mm. than than the the football team I mean it's it's not even close and I mean some of the fair weather parents will stay until halftime in the halftime show then leave (laughs) and you see the parking lot um, (laughs) getting empty Um, but that program I I guess it it did originate and kind of feeds from football but it kind of goes both ways and in some ways you know we we can we can group all of that and cheerleaders and drill team and uh, if you look
0: at all that it's a big chunk of your student body it's a big chunk of the student body. It's a big chunk of the student of the school budget, uh, time, uh, energies. A lot is put into, you know, vice principals are required to be the vice principal on scene for any athletic endeavor. And so there has to be an administrative presence. Uh, oftentimes teachers will volunteer um, to uh, keep score or whatever else the case may be. There's other perfunctory kind of duties that are associated with various sports, everything from wrestling to basketball to, you know, what have you. Um, and so, you know, all these things, is, sports can be, especially in Texas, sports can be, uh, as I said, a galvanizing, but an all-encompassing sort of thing. Now, the question is, what are the good things about that? And what are the bad things? You know, we have talked about it in the past, we have compared the topic du jour, um, that's the topic of the day in French, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, but there, but, you know, we have in the past, we have correlated our topic with, you know, how things are in Germany, for instance, that being the, the, the kind of the, the system that we are most familiar with, you know, but, um, And and of course in Germany, there is no school sports. There are certainly recreational opportunities both before and after school. And a lot of those are connected to the town itself, not necessarily to the school, Um, but you just don't see it there. So um, especially coming from a coach's point of view, as you are, what do you see as the biggest advantages uh, of a vibrant, healthy sports image within a school? I'm really having trouble finding any any
1: negatives to the, to a, a flourishing athletic program. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I think back on my years a, a, as a coach, and I, maybe I've said this before, but I think that the the best teaching I ever did was on the tennis court by far, mm-hmm. um, and it has to do with the relationship with the students, the fact that they are there because they want to be, and and you can push them in a different way. You can talk to them differently. Um, you get to know them much better. Um, And you're in these high pressure um, circumstances with them where you, you just grow to trust each other um, when, when things are on the line. So all of that, um, they develop teamwork, not pretend teamwork like you do when you have group projects in in Mm. school, but they're, they're honestly, you know, depending on each other and, and they, they monitor each other as much as the coach monitors them. So they get opportunities to lead. You know, not to pretend to lead like on a PowerPoint presentation; they're the first person to speak. <laughs> um, but but leaders emerge, you know, on, on the athletic field. Um, they're learning all, all of these virtues of com- competition. Um, I could talk all day on this, but just something like tennis. Um, the the beauty of the sport, and I think many sports are like this, is that after you lose a point. Um, you walk back you turn around and then then you start over you play another point and you put that right behind you and that lesson happens in football after every play basketball certainly the other um, team is scoring and you you have to take that then you move on so i, I think it, it teaches resilience and there's just some so many uh virtues uh, at play uh, as it were
0: um and, and i haven't even talked about baseball yet so that's pretty good <laughs> But I think I think one of the things that certainly favors your viewpoint is that when you look at it in total, and especially when you look at it in regards to what it does for the individual, those individual young men and women who have taken it upon themselves to sacrifice to dedicate themselves to something, uh, not only to see success but to pursue per- per- failure. I don't, I'm not sure if you can find a better way of shaping and molding the kind of characteristics that you want in an individual, like you can on the field of play. Okay. The problem is, is there's a flip side to that coin. And the flip side is not directly because of athletics, but it's a kind of a tangential effect of athletics. You know, one has to deal with the time that students spend on the pitch or on the court or on the golf course, whatever, uh, in lieu of studying, preparing, prepping. Now in Texas though, I mean, these students are having to double dip and they have to, you know, because if they do not perform in the classroom, they do not get the opportunity to perform at their various athletic endeavors, you know? So there's that, but you're also putting an extraordinary amount of pressure on the kiddo to try to balance those two. Second of all, just time missed class time, missed from a teacher point of view, you know, you start to kind of, you know, if a kid is involved in football in the fall and baseball in the spring, you're talking about an extraordinary amount of time that they're going to miss as a result, you know, something like football, that can be curtailed to the days around a weekend but something like tennis or baseball or some of the other sports where it's not defined necessarily by a particular part of the calendar uh those days can stretch all across a week you know and and it just it's an extraordinary amount of time loss that could have been used to to help the kid through something academically as opposed to you know them spending their time focused on athletics so and then that's not even taking into account pep rallies and all this other sort of stuff that tends to go with it. There is, I think, from a teacher point of view, um, not to distinguish ourselves from the teacher coaches, but from the just pure teacher point of view, there's the time loss. And I think that that's probably the biggest, that's the biggest, from an academic point of view, that's the biggest knock on high school athletics. Well, let me address both, both of those Um First of
1: all, on the time, it definitely is substantial. And some sports are year-round. I know tennis is. There are technically two seasons. Football has a season, but then many, as you said, do other sports. Um, From my own observations, 25 years teaching, this is a blanket statement, but the athletes were the best students I -hmm. had. Um, Mm -hmm. And and by athletes, I include people in band and people in in programs related to athletics. I mean, because they are so heavily scheduled, they tend to be organized and 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 do their study time and, and don't spend their time. I mean, today playing video games and mm-hmm. and and tuning out. Uh, so there's something about that. Just like in college, you know, you tend to do better when you have a, a, a fuller schedule than if you just have nine hours or something. Uh, but that that's that's an observation. Um, the assembly is interesting because you know, I will say. As a classroom teacher as opposed to a coach. I and mean, I had both hats. Right. There was something a little bit off-putting that they're parading the most popular students, the ones involved in these, <laughs> yeah, you know, constantly, just to remind those other kids, look at those, you know, kind of hit them on the back of the head. Why aren't you like that? You'll never uh, be there. You'll never right. be
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: but they're they're not. I mean, let's face it, they can't like parade the AP u.s history students there and 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 why not i mean i've been in a school where they've 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 tried that it was actually quite fun where the ap kids would walk around everybody would cheer as they went around before the test and i I think it's great but uh, by and large the you know there is something communicated to the student body by the prominence i guess of athletics particularly football and as a You know, non football sport, you know, it was interesting that the the people up there talking to the crowd and everything uh, were the football players. Mm. Even though it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it certainly wasn't the only sport, but football in Texas uh, is king, that's for sure.
0: Well, there is one other side to this. Mm -hmm. And because certainly you are right. And I can certainly attest in the years that I've taught, you know, your athletes tend to be. In, sometimes in equal measure knuckleheads, but also the hardest workers, you know, within a particular class because they are they've got something to lose. You know, it's not just a it's not just a purely kind of, um, you know, kind of required function that they're performing within the classroom but it has a direct tie to something that they care about more than the subject at hand, you know, and that helps kind of guide them through their studies, you know, and guide them through the fact that they don't have a lot of time. Um, But the other aspect, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about the idea of funding and the funding of schools. And there is an extraordinary amount of money spent on funding athletic endeavors. And not just the athletic endeavors themselves like the regular season, but if you have a district, for example, who have who have a fairly successful record across the board in their sports, then the school district is also spending an inordinate amount of money getting these kids to various playoff sites, uh, hotel rooms, travel, gas, uh, trucks, you know, rental cars, buses, whatever the case may be. Um, there is an extraordinary amount of money to spent. To kind of feed those various playoff endeavors, so we're not just talking about a, a football team that plays ten games and then Bob's your uncle, but rather ten games and then maybe a trip to Austin and then maybe a trip somewhere else and you know or what have you um, on that side of things is that a harder argument from a coach's point of view to have because certainly you're spot on with your your kind of your academic uh, response to those academic concerns is there a problem with athletics in relation to funding um
1: i think that the amount of funding that the individual sports receive i mean i can tell you it's not that high i mean the expenses are deferred by booster clubs Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fundraising that happens i mean about the only revenue generating sport is football so they do bring in um, some money which just like in college is distributed across the other programs most likely um, but I, I honestly don't know the, you know, the funding from a school district on athletics, um, but you're also, you know, paying for coaches. I mean, you're, these are personnel. So, you know, add that to the list that you you just had. Um, so the question is, is it worth it? You know, what about the opportunity cost? Could that be better used to hire, you know, more math teachers? Um, so there, there, there is something there. So is the benefit? Yeah, you know, worth the cost and and i guess that's kind of what we're talking about
0: and this is where we look at our brothers and sisters over across the pond you know are their jobs made easier or more difficult for the lack of athletics within their within the confines of their structure their curriculum or what have you um and and that's how you have to look at i think budgetary questions you know because either it, it's worth the money or it's not worth the money you know well,
1: the—I mean—you mentioned Germany. The, the even the idea of school spirit—it's—it's uh, <laughs> it's not really. I mean, they would laugh yeah. <laughs> if you said that. Um, and you know, may, maybe it's, it's the culture there, but not having something that they all get behind and follow. Um, and and the the Friday night—I mean, it's a magical thing, you know. Friday mm. night in in Texas and many many states um, to not have that that experience—it really does. You know, pull the the students together. Um, so I, I think that the the Germans are are missing out uh, in a way, and I think that mm-hmm. they would probably love it. I mean, when they visit us, we always take them to sporting events. You know, football, if possible, mm-hmm. and 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 they they come away really excited about it. So they're they're missing a, a part of growing up. I think.
0: Well, it's certainly that you know, for the Germans to come over here, it's part of what they associate with the typical American high school. They they, they think about. um I think about football players and cheerleaders and pep rallies and just the whole, uh, spectacle that's associated with sports. And then you get the band, which is where your, uh, three, uh, very talented children, uh, have applied their craft. And so, um, um it, it's not an easy discussion. You know, I think sometimes teachers who do not have a direct connection with athletics and who do not understand, um, you know, the interconnectedness between athletics and the school building, uh, they're a bit too easy and they're a bit too quick to dismiss the importance of athletics. I think for those who are not interested in sports, you know, just as a rule, I think that they are missing some aspect of this and, and some of the reasons why we have it. Uh, that said, it does beg the question: Can it be done differently? Can it be done in a more efficient way? Can it be done uh, in such a way that it benefits the school's primary function, which is to educate kids, uh, better than it currently does?
1: I think the you know in Texas, the fact that the the, the UIL, the, the group that um, oversees you know for the state uh, athletics has a grade, you need to have the grades seem to be passing your, your classes to, to play is, is huge. Um, and, and that fills one of the potential gaps, you know, yeah. of, of, of a, you know, a strong athletic program, there's something that you see on television shows, occasionally, there's always a a coach who's pretty overbearing, and he goes up to teachers when their kids you know, their star quarterbacks failing and they mm. give the teacher grief and they and the teacher has to have a moral moment where they say, No, <laughs> I'm <you> know, <laughs> I'm gonna give them a failing grade because they earned it or whatever. Um, but I mean, in my my experience, it's really been the opposite. The the coaches will go up to you and, and say, you, you tell us if if my kids, my players are misbehaving, and I'll I'll work with them on that and you know, beyond that, you know, if you give us a heads up that they're struggling thanks but but mm-hmm. I've never experienced that once, you know, any, any I mean coaches are very professional and, and they're sensitive mm-hmm. uh to to that and, and and I think that that they are not going to advocate in fact they they're seeing this as a educate you know educational moment if a student mm-hmm. fail, fails and doesn't and misses a week. Mm-hmm. Um they, so that that's been my experience. How about you?
0: Well, uh, when I was a new teacher, Mm -hmm. there was one coach who tried to, uh, not in a not so subtle sort of way, you know, you know, make the case that, uh, so-and-so should be passing, you know, now I I was different than your average first year teacher. You know, I, you know, I, I spent four and a half years in the military you know i was not inherently impressed by a coach coming into my classroom you know and so well, yeah, i don't know what he thought he was going to do i don't know if he thought <laughs> i don't know what he thought and to be fair he, he was the only one i mean we had we had many great coaches and like you said i think most coaches the vast majority of coaches are very sensitive to any kind of um uh, implication that they would try to you know intimidate uh, or, you know or otherwise Try to cajole a teacher to do something. Not that that hasn't happened, but uh, it's only happened once in my entire career, and it was in the first year. You know, and so, um, it's, so it's it's something that's very rare. Um, and you're right; most of the coaches just want to know, you know, you know, how do you get how do you get uh, uh, knucklehead over here to start doing what they're supposed to be doing, or what do they need to start doing? Now, having said that what I, what I saw a lot early on were coaches making sure their players did not end up in certain teachers classes. If they thought a teacher might be a bit on the, uh, the more difficult side. And if they did not think the kid had academically the chops to handle a particular teacher, they might redirect them to another classroom. I've heard that before, but again, that even that is years and years and years ago, you know, so I think, I think now it's, you know, the coaches, I think you're right. I think the coaches see it as a teaching opportunity. They see it as a character building opportunity. And uh, I think they prefer the, I'm trying to figure out the right way of saying it. I think they prefer the lesson Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh, over the absence of it. Yes. And, and again, I I recall
1: lots of, of athletes bringing a little sheet to sign, you know, a progress report uh, which is just a best practice. It's good, and I was always happy to do it. And if they were in, in need of a, a little bit of catch up, um, you let the the coaches know. So you know, very professional in, in the way that they they handled it. And uh, but I think it gives the students some ownership. You know, I liked that interaction. You know, the kid kid didn't just drop that on your desk and say, here, give me a sign mm-hmm. here, but, mm-hmm. but it was respectful. And I, so I think it, the lessons are, are getting through and, and and I'm pretty complimentary about athletes in general, but you know, student athletes tend to know how to talk to adults a little mm-hmm. bit. They, they've had a different type of interaction. And, and, and so the, the lessons show, I think,
0: I think so. Well, um, as we depart for the week, uh, it does make me wonder, get you on record, since we now have a podcast and we have now a recorded mechanism by which to, uh, to, to, to solidify any predictions or prognostications you choose to make, who wins the Super Bowl this year? You're asking me now? Uh, yeah, I, man, yeah, now he's. Yeah. I, I usually
1: wait till halftime of the game itself, and then I come <laughs> bold with a prediction. Um, uh, I, I'm not going to be crazy and pick Indianapolis, even though they have a, a new quarterback. You know, kind of speak, that of would be cruel. That would that would make any sense? No, I mean, I mean, I know it. One of the teams you root for is is, is Tampa Bay, and they're the uh, defending champions. They have the great Tom Brady. Uh, I would not bet against them
0: uh, on any day. And so that that's my prediction. I stand by it. And by the way, least less people listening think that my fandom of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is some recent Johnny come lately kind of uh, uh, endeavor. One, you can attest that as long as you've known me 12 years or so, more so, I guess I've been a Bucs fan. Uh, that was the team whose arms I sought comfort in when the Colts left. <laughs> Uh, I ran, uh, ran headlong, not even thinking, into the creamsicle orange and white uniforms of Bruce the Buck uh. and felt myself once more loved, appreciated as a fandom. And so, um, uh, those are, that, that was my, um, uh, that was my bounce back relationship after the Colts left Baltimore. <laughs> well, well, that's a good, good way to phrase it. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to
1: the Buccaneers in their early seasons. Cause I know you have a lot to say about uh, the, their perfect season early on. Indeed, um, But I, I, I do want to be clear that my prediction is not my loyalty because if the, if they, you know, find their way playing, um, well, the Green Bay Packers for one. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't root for for Tampa Bay uh, <laughs> because I, I come to the Packers from my father. I come by them honestly, um, and and, I, and I'm a little bit. I, I guess I, I am on the fence on Dallas all the time. We live we live in Dallas, but it's really hard to root against a root for a team
0: that you spend your whole childhood rooting against. Um, so. Well, yeah, you you no self-respecting individual outside of outside the state of Texas should be rooting for the Cowboys in any kind of legitimate sort of way. You got other teams you got to be rooting for. Now the problem is that you, because of the various movements as a child, you claim and or have claimed at different times the Packers, was it the 49ers or the Rams? No, I've been you're you're
1: you're spreading misinformation. (laughs) I'm I'm a Packer fan. Through and through, and through. <laughs> absolutely. Um, you went
0: through the Lindicky years, and <laughs>
1: no, I've never rooted, rooted against the
0: Packers, and, and I never will. So we'll, okay, we'll leave it at that. A strong statement on the record. Very good. All right. Well, with that, uh, have fun in the uh, <laughs> the town of Indianapolis, and, <laughs> um, and <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. Um, but uh, the sincerely safe travels great endeavors by uh you and yours uh over the course of the next week and uh we'll see you next time around here dr bourgeois thank you sir Herr miller enjoy your week as well and I'll you be saying